We're going to be back in Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. I've entitled this message, The Righteous Live by Faith. The Righteous Live by Faith. Well, last week we explored uh, the topic of, of uh, Paul's uh, challenge to the church. And uh, he said, really, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow these people who are trying to bewitch you and take you in this direction? Or are you going to trust God? And so uh, just a, a way of reminder, Paul said this, believe the suffering Savior, believe, believe the work of the Spirit, believe the God, uh, believe God and his gifts, and then believe uh, the Holy Scriptures. And so if we are going to really live, we must do that through faith. And uh, one of the things that was happening in the church, just for a, a way of reminder, is there, these Judaizers uh, had come in. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to make these Gentiles, they were trying to convert them over to Judaism. And so they were saying, you got to do all of these things, and then you will be part of God's family. And that's why Paul covered what we covered last week and said, no, believe the suffering Savior, the work of the Spirit, God and His gifts, and the Holy Scripture. And then he ends that portion with this. This from, comes from Galatians 3, 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So he kind of, there, there's this idea or the, the, these other people are trying to bewitch them and say, you have to do these things as well. And Paul says, don't you realize if you just believe, if you just by faith believe, then you will receive that blessing that was given to Abraham. And so you will be included in that. And so he, he ends that area not with you must follow the law and, and all the things that, that God set forth in, in the covenant law, but instead he says this, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so uh, really as we uh, consider today and we think about God's blessing, sometimes in our fallen condition we think this. We tend to think that the key to God's blessing is good works. If I can do enough good works for God, then he will bless me. Sometimes in our fallen condition, that is what we think. But here Paul reminds us it's not through good works that we are blessed. But through what? What does Paul say? He says, then those who are of faith are blessed. So sometimes we spend so much time trying to earn God's blessing when instead we really just need to recognize that in Christ we have been blessed and that God will continue uh, to take care of us. So we're going to start here in Galatians chapter 3 and we're just going to read just a couple of verses as we get started today in uh, Galatians chapter 3 and I'm going to have you stand out of respect for God's word. We're going to start here in verse 10. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10, it says this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Let's go ahead and stop there, and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to gather together again the first day of the week as, as your church, to worship you in word, worship you in offering, and worship you 
uh, through your word. And so, Lord, thank you for this opportunity that we have uh, to gather together to learn more about you, to learn more about ourselves, and to, to hopefully, as, as, as we learn today and we go out and we live this next week, uh, to bring you glory. And ho- Lord, help us to realize that really your blessing is not received through good works, but your blessing is received by faith. That that is really what you are looking for in your people, a people of faith. And so we pray you'll help us in our faith that it might grow, that we might trust you in a greater way. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, our family has, uh, over the years, had the opportunity to introduce uh, new people to uh, Calaveras big trees and walk them around and show them the giant sequoia. So some people uh, that have either never been to California, never got to experience something like that, or maybe this is just an opportunity um, and that they don't get to visit California very often. And so our family has had the opportunity to uh, take lots of people around and show them the giant sequoias. And you know what I always do when I, when I, when I first start off? Well, I mean, after you get there and you use the restroom, and then after that, I go and I find that trail guide. Because that trail guide, it, it helps you to stay on the right path, and it tells you a little bit about all the trees and some of the facts and why certain trees look certain ways. And I always test people, and, and I, I grab this, this giant pine cone, which I think is a, um, a ponderosa pine cone. It's huge. And then I grab this little tiny pine cone, which is actually the giant sequoia, and I, and I ask them, so what do you, what, what, pine cone do you think comes from this tree and and of course they they look at that big one and they just assume big tree must be big pine cone but it's always that little tiny pine cone uh, drops from that huge tree and so over the years i've got to take several people there and you know we normally take the uh, what is it the um the north grove trail the north grove trail is is a little over a 30 minute a walk I don't even know if we could really call it a hike, although you are going uh, through the woods. Uh, but it's just a nice, it's a nice stroll. And uh, depending on how long you take to just sit there and enjoy God's creation, um, it'll take a little over 30 minutes to walk uh, that way. Now, if you're not careful, though, if you're not careful, there is a spot on that trail where there's an arrow pointing in another direction. And if you take that direction you'll hike for hours. You'll hike for like a couple hours. And it will be actually not an easy hike, but more of a moderate hike. It'll be a little bit more of a challenge. And so I don't take people on that hike. Therefore, I keep that little guide with me. I want to make sure I don't turn off. And, And literally, it's as easy as this. When you come there, you either take a right or you take a left. If you take a right you're in for a hike. If you take the left, you're going on a stroll. And so I always take people on the stroll. Why? Because I want it to be easy. I want them to enjoy God's creation. I want them to enjoy those giant sequoias. And really, as we get to our portion of Scripture today, we see Paul here, and he kind of opens up the guide. And, And he looks down at the guide, and he says, really, there are two paths that the church can go on. 
And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at these two paths, and then really we would say the, the, the trail guide is the Word of God. And so Paul goes back and he looks at the Word of God, and he's going to take some illustrations from the Old Testament, and he's going to try to demonstrate to the people these two paths. Now, when I look at that guide there in, in, in the Giant Sequoia National Park, I mean, I mean uh, Calaveras Big Trees, when, it, when I go and I look at that, I can tell where I'm supposed to be going. And, and even those trees are marked. So on that little trail guide, I can even tell where I am on the map and so that I don't get lost and so that I can enjoy some of the stories and facts about those trees. And so Paul opens up the Word of God and he goes back to the Old Testament and he points out to the church, there are two trails. One goes this way, and one goes this way. But these two trails end in two different areas. And so what he's going to do today, and what we're going to see today, is where these two trails end. Where do these two trails lead? And so the very first path that he points out to the church is the path of works. And so we see this in, in verse 10. And so notice there in uh, chapter 3, verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So the very first path that we see is the works of the law. That's the first path that, that Paul points out to us. And back in Genesis, God gave a first commandment. All right, the first commandment to Adam and Eve, and, and uh, we could actually say maybe it was like almost like a, a first law. And so God pretty much said this, all right? I'm going to tell you that everything out here is for you. You can eat of all of this, but there's one thing that you should not eat of. And so this is what it, it says here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And 17, it says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God gave Adam and Eve a warning, a command. All right? The command was this, Go out and eat of all these trees. But of that tree, don't eat. And of course, we know that Adam and Eve, we, we find in chapter 3, that instead of Adam and Eve believing God's warning, that serpent was able to trick them and to tempt them and, and, and to really say, really, is, did God really say that? Would he really do that to you? You know what? It's that God doesn't want you to be like him. And he knows that if you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, you're going to be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him. And so Adam and Eve, they had a choice before them. Do I, by faith, believe God? He said, don't do this. And this serpent, this person that wants to bewitch me, is saying, go and do this. And of course, Adam and Eve, they did partake of that fruit. And sin did pass to mankind. That relationship was broken. And in the, in the very first, we could say the first law or that first command, I do want to point out this. Adam and Eve were sinless prior to eating that fruit. 
God said, I, wa- I, wanna, I, I want you to be blessed. I want you to eat of all of this. But then he says, but don't eat of this. And if you eat of this, you will be cursed. You will die. And so that very first law, that very first command that we find in Genesis is not about trying to earn favor with God. They had already, they were already in favor with God. They were already walking daily and having a close relationship with God. That first law was stated and it was going to be a breaking of a relationship. It was going to be a breaking and really a death. And so we see the consequences of that. And if you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so God said, you know what? This is going to happen if you do this. And of course, now we know that in this world, there is death. That truly sin did pass to all mankind, and now all mankind will one day take their last breath, unless the Lord returns, of course. So Paul points this out in in the book of Romans. In Romans 5.12, he says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, he's talking about Adam, really kind of not not believing by faith what God told him, And and death through sin, so death spread to all mankind because all sinned. What Adam did when he disobeyed, that first command really was a consequence not just for Adam and Eve, but for all mankind. A relationship was broken, and death came. And so now we all die. That's the penalty of sin. But then we find out as we continue on in the Old Testament that there is another law that is given. And this is a covenant law between God and Israel. And so God's desire, and so we can think of that first law as really fellowship and life, eternal life. That's what Adam and Eve had going for them. When they ate of the fruit and they decided not to believe God, that fellowship was broken and they died. So that's what happened with that first command. We could say that first law. Then we see that there is a second law, a covenant law, and, and what is happening here? Well, God still wants to bless mankind. And he wants to bless mankind, and and so he chooses a nation, starting with Abraham, the man of faith. And so he puts together a covenant law. And so, unfortunately, uh, Israel broke that covenant law over and over again. And so that blessing was not... A blessing as they hoped, but sometimes when they broke God's law, it turned into a curse. And so this is actually what Paul is is bringing up. Again, he looks down there at that that uh, trail guy. And he says, all right, and, and what is the trail guy? The trail guy is the word of God. And he goes back to the Old Testament and he goes, okay, so there are these people over here, these Judaizers, and they're trying to tell you that you need to do something to earn God's favor. But let's open up the trail guide and let's see where that trail leads. And so he goes back to Deuteronomy 27, 26, and he says this, and this is what he is quoting in his passage. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of the law by doing them. And notice, all the people shall say, Amen. That word, Amen, there means that uh, they agree. 
It, it is, let it be. And so the people agree, all right, if, if God has given us this law, this covenant law, and, and if we do this, God will bless us. And, and if we don't do this, then God will punish us. There will be some type of curse associated with that. And when we read through the Old Testament, we find that there were times where God blessed Israel when they were faithful to him. And then there were also times where hard times came into Israel's life because they did not keep his law. Instead, they began to follow after other gods. They began to do things they knew they shouldn't do, and so they began to be punished. And so I want to give us a, a third illustration, a real-life illustration today, all right, just to demonstrate what this idea of through the law comes a curse. All right, so imagine today that um, I am leading us down to the coast. And uh, I see on the side of the road that there, it has been posted that the speed limit is 55 miles per hour. And so I'm driving down the highway and 55, that's just too slow. So I speed up. Now I'm going 85 miles per hour and I'm leading us all down the road going 85 miles per hour. And then all of a sudden, I glance over and I see that highway patrol. That highway patrol, now, now what can I imagine is going to happen to me next and maybe happen to you all as well? Well, we are going to get pulled over and we are going to be given a ticket. All right, we knew the posted speed limit was 55. We chose to go, led by me, unfortunately, we chose to go 85 and now we're going to pay a cost, all right? Now notice, the highway law does not reward us when we go 55 miles per hour, all right? So imagine now we're taking a different trip because we have learned from that first trip. So now we're all going 55 miles per hour, and we see on the side of the road it says 55 miles per hour, and then I see that highway patrol person. Can I expect that highway patrol person is going to pull me over and give me a voucher to get some money from the state. That's not going to happen. All right? Maybe, maybe one day in our, in our state, maybe that will happen. But it's not happening today. Why? Because the law is not to reward. The law is actually to tell you what the standard is. All right? And so that is what Paul is trying to bring to our, our mind here. That the law is not a way for us to earn favor with God. Instead, the law is what to tell us when we go over and we're outside of God's law. And so Paul says, really the law leads to a curse, okay? If God sees you obeying the law, it's not like, okay, well, I'm going to give you some extra money here because you're obeying the law. Now, there are blessings that come with faith, all right? Blessings that come with faith but not necessarily just obeying God's law, all right? Sometimes life works better when you obey God's law, but that's not necessarily connected to God's blessing. That is just sometimes in life how it works out. And so Paul says this, and so he gives us the illustration from the Old Testament. I went back from the very beginning and talked about Adam and Eve, all right? Adam and Eve, they were perfect prior to eating of that fruit. 
that law, that command did not make them right with God. That actually brought a curse. That curse was death. We find out the same thing is true for the covenant law. That law there was to provide God's blessing. And as long as they lived underneath that law, there would be blessing. But when they went outside that law, then there would be a curse. The law brought a curse. The same thing is true in our laws today, all right? When we obey the law, we are not rewarded financially for that. But when we break the law, we are penalized financially for that. And so that law is really to give us that standard to live under. And so it's not to earn favor with God. And so that's why Paul says this in Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. And so that's why Paul says what he says, that it's not through the law. And so, again, we're here and, and we see two trails and and there's a left and there's a right uh, for the church. One trail is the works path. The other trail that Paul's about to point out is the faith path. He's, he sat down, he's opened up the trail manual, the word of God, and he said, okay, let's look at where this trail goes. And he points out the fact that the works trail does not lead to righteousness and justification. This works trail leads to the curse, all right? We don't, we're not rewarded. Instead, when we trespass, when we sin, we are punished. All right? And so that punishment has come to all mankind, for all have sinned. So he opens up that, 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 that manual there, that uh, trail guide. And he says, okay, let's look at this other path, this path of faith. And so we see this in verse 11. This is, again, Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Now it is evident... That no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And so he says, really, we have two, we have two ways we can go. And, and again, Paul opens up the trial manual and he goes back to the Old Testament. And he says, don't you know that the law brings the curse? But he also opens up the Old Testament. And he says, the righteous shall live by faith. And so where is that found in the Word of God? Well, that's actually in Habakkuk, all right? Habakkuk chapter 1. So I encourage you to turn to Habakkuk chapter 1. I know that it's not a place you normally go. It's one of the minor prophets there, if that uh, helps you at all. Uh, but uh, it's um, between uh, Psalm and Matthew in your Bible. So Psalm being the big book in the Bible, and then uh, Matthew being the beginning of the New Testament. So Habakkuk chapter 1. And what we're going to do is we're going to lay out Paul's arguments here. Again, um, as we're kind of going around, Paul has opened up that, that guide, and he says, okay, this path leads here, and this path leads somewhere else. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk down this path that Paul leads us down when he says, the righteous shall live by faith. And so that starts in Habakkuk chapter 1. And so notice, first of all, in Habakkuk chapter 1, that here we have Habakkuk, he's actually questioning God. He sees everything that's happening in, in Israel. He sees what's happening, and, and uh, he's, he's concerned, and he's wondering why God has not intervened. And so he says this in verse 2. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. 
O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? And so Habakkuk is, is really kind of challenged in his heart. He sees everything that's happening in, in, in his nation, and he's concerned. And he's wondering, how is God allowing this to happen? How come God has not intervened yet? And sometimes in our life, maybe we are tempted to ask the same thing. Maybe we're going through some type of struggle. Maybe it's a relationship struggle or a financial struggle or a health struggle. And we begin to kind of ask the same thing. God, aren't you listening to me? Don't you care about what I'm going through? Or maybe my kids are going through. Or maybe my spouse is going through. And so maybe in, in times of our life, we have asked God the same, same question. Do you care? And so God has an answer for us through Habakkuk. And so uh, he says this in verse 5 and 6. And again, I thought I fixed this, uh, but apparently I didn't. We're getting uh, double verses on a slide here. But uh, you have it in front of you, so if that's hard to see, uh, please follow along there in your Bible. It says this in verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astonished. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. And so God says this. He says, you know what? I am raising up the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans are actually going to be your punishment. And so remember, breaking God's law is, is either God's blessing if you live underneath there. But if you break it, comes God's curse, comes God's punishment. And so Israel's in a place right now where they are going against God and they're going against his law. And so God brings some punishment and that's in the form of the Chaldeans. And so God raises up the Chaldeans to come and, and take over uh, Israel. Now, who are the Chaldeans? Well, we, we know them at a... At a, at a uh, a better name as the Babylonians, all right? So the Babylonians are is another name for the Chaldeans, and that's who God was raising up. And so we know that the Babylonians did come, and they did take over um, Israel because of Israel's choices. And so God's response brings Habakkuk to another question. And so we see his next question here in verse 13, and maybe this is even your question this morning. Verse 13, notice his response to God. He says this, You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So Habakkuk says something that is true about God. God is holy. And he can't fellowship with sin. Remember, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so how can God raise up the Chaldeans, these Babylonians, to come and, and take over Israel? How could God use these people who are more wicked, more unrighteous than Israel to provide this punishment? And no doubt as as Habakkuk is thinking through this response that God gave him, no doubt he's thinking about, what about those people who are still faithful to you? 
What about those people who are obeying your covenant? They're trying their best to have a right relationship with you. They want to be blessed, and let, and, but you still are going to bring this, this nation. But then he kind of starts to turn a corner. We see this in chapter 2. So again, he questions. All right, in chapter 1, he's saying, why have you allowed all of this to happen? And sometimes maybe that's in our own lives. We've asked the question, at least I know I have. God, why are you allowing all this to happen? And God says, you know what, you don't understand. There's something that I am doing. And then we have a back response of, why would you do it that way? But then we see kind of a turning here. This is when we're going to get to the righteous shall live by faith. But notice here in verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And so here is a picture of Habakkuk and and this idea of of a watch post. Uh, This is actually kind of a military thing. And so someone would be like on a lookout and uh, someone would be waiting to see uh, something that was not right. They were like a scout. And so if they saw the enemy coming, they would quickly go and they would warn the rest. The enemy is coming. Get prepared. And that is what the picture is here of Habakkuk. At least that's the description that he's giving to us. That he is waiting and anticipating God's reply to his questions. And so he is waiting, and he says, um, to see what he will say to me, that is what God will say to him, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Again, what is the complaint? Well, uh, God, how could you do this? I mean, what about the righteous people? But as a nation, they decided to go against God. And so the whole nation uh, was, uh, was punished. And so he's waiting He's anticipating. He's waiting for a reply so that he can again ask God another question. and can be ready with a response. And maybe that response is to worship. Matter of fact, that's what we're going to see Habakkuk does at the very end. So even though he knows all this bad stuff is going to happen, his response to the whole thing is, I trust God. I'm going to, by faith, trust that he knows what he is doing. And truly, God does know what he is doing. Or it could be this. It could be his response was going to be similar to uh, maybe the response of Abraham. Well, what about those people who are still righteous? Those people who are obeying the law, are you going to punish them as well? And so he's waiting to see how God is going to respond so that he can, in turn, respond as well. But again, he's standing and waiting in faith. And then we see this in verse 4. God answers Habakkuk, and he says, really, trust me. And he says this, behold, his soul is puffed up. And he's talking here about uh, the Babylonians, the, the Chaldeans. He says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. And this is what he is pointing to. He's saying, you know what? They are puffed up in their own effort. They think that they are strong in their own flesh. They think that they can do all of this by themselves But I want you to know, Habakkuk, that they don't have a guide. I want you to know, Habakkuk, that they don't have real strength because they don't have the God of Israel on their side. 
So for a, a temporary time, yes, I'm going to use them. But that's not going to be the end result because I am not done with Israel. And he says, really, that Israel should be a nation that uh, lives by faith. And he says, a, uh, um, Habakkuk, you ought to be a man also who is a man who lives by faith. And so the Babylonians trusted in themselves. And so again, you can already see kind of this parallel that's happening between what Paul uses as the righteous shall live by faith and some of the things that were happening in the church of Galatia. And so Paul brings up this idea now that we have more of a context here. But what else is happening here in Habakkuk? Because obviously we missed a couple of verses. So look back at verse 2. So in verse 2 it says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that he may run who reads it. And so the Lord tells Habakkuk, All right, what I want you to do is I want you to make this very clear. And I want you to preserve what I've just told you. And I want you to make it so that anybody that hears this will understand it. And then I want you to go and I want you to take that message and tell people. Well, to do that, Habakkuk would have had to trust God. He would have had to, by faith, believe God that, that his way is perfect, that he could trust God in what he was doing. And so Habakkuk does that. Habakkuk takes it and, and he does um, uh, share that with others. And in verse 3 we see this, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And so the Lord says, all right, it hasn't happened yet. But because I have said it, it will happen. That's one thing that we can know to be true about God. That God is dependable. That God is faithful. When you think about the word of God and what God says we can trust his words. Now, there's not a lot of people in this world uh, that we can trust their words. And one of the reasons is because they don't know the future. They don't have control over the future. Maybe a parent makes a promise to a child and they really want it to be fulfilled, but they don't have the power to really keep it. But God does. That's why when he makes promises, he can keep those promises because he is a sovereign God. And so God tells uh, Habakkuk, you know what? You haven't seen it, but just know it is going to come. I'm going to work. I am not done with Israel yet, and there will be something that is going to happen. And so really, as we think about this, and, and maybe wherever we are in our life, and, and I've said that in my past, there were times in my life where I've, I've asked the question, God, why did you allow this to happen? And really, God's response to Habakkuk is, you don't know what's happening in the background. We never know how God is working through people and in people. But we can know that God is at work, and we can trust in his promises. So God is at work even in us today. And so as we uh, think about what Paul is, is doing here, he's, he's going down the path. And he looks at path one, the path of works. This is, this is the other group, the Judaizers. They're saying, okay, what you need to do is you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And then you need to do all of these other things as well. If you want to be right with God, if you want God's complete blessing, you need to do these things as well. And Paul points this out. The path of works leads to the curse. 
all right? Just like we are not rewarded when we go the speed limits, all right? I guess we're not rewarded in not receiving a ticket, but we're not given a voucher to get money because we obeyed the law. Instead, when we break the law, we are penalized. So the same thing is true when it comes to God's law. God's law is not what makes us righteous. It simply points out to us when we are not being righteous. All right, part number two is the path of faith, and that is really trusting in God's promises. And really, as Christians, um, in our fallen condition, we tend to think that the key to God's blessing is good works. But the truth is, the key to God's blessing is faith. And so we need to trust the Lord that He is working. That doesn't mean that we don't do what we're supposed to do, all right? We're supposed to do what we're supposed to do as God leads. As we think about Matt and Tanya, God has directed them to go to the mission fields. To not go to the mission field, they would not be doing the right thing. But by faith, they are leaving the United States and they're going to another country. And so as we think about our own faith, that we should also be trusting the Lord uh, each and every day. Of course, we know that faith is what it takes to have a relationship with the Lord. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. It's not through the works of the law. It's not through the works of the flesh. It's not through um, the covenant law that, that uh, we are given uh, eternal life. But it is by God's grace through faith. It is not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so if we're here today and we're thinking that maybe we can earn God's favor through maybe like doing a list of do's and don'ts, I just want to remind us this morning, that is one path. That list of do's and don'ts, that leads to a curse. All right? The path to God's blessing is the path of faith. That is trusting God and allowing Him to work in and through our lives. So Paul says this. Again, as we kind of hit the, the top of, of this idea, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so are we a people of faith or are we a people of works? If we're a people of works, we're not receiving God's true blessing. Maybe our life is easier because we live clean lives, but that's all it is. It's just having an easier life because we're living a clean life. If we want God's blessing, then everything that we do should be filtered through the lens of faith. Is God want us to do this? And if he does, why does he want us to do this? And I want to do this not because it makes my life easier. My goal should be I want to do this because it brings God glory. And that's really what we should think about. And so the righteous live by faith we have two two paths one that leads to a curse and one that leads to righteousness and of course the only way that we can truly have righteousness is through jesus christ and that must come through faith let's go ahead and pray lord we do thank you for taking us on this uh, journey thank you for taking us uh, down this path and and looking at these two options and really going back to the word of god and establishing one path that leads to a curse, that is the works 
of the law. That is the works of the flesh. That that does not lead to justification. That does not lead to righteousness. But that leads to a curse because that law simply tells us when we trespass, what will happen to us? But Lord, instead, help us to be like Abraham. Help us to be like Habakkuk. Help us to be like Paul. Help us to be like like the, the heroes of the faith that have come before us and the heroes of the faith that live today. That they truly believe that you keep your promises. They truly believe that they can put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, as, as Christians, we know that that is what it took for us to start a relationship with you. That it wasn't through works, but it was a gift through faith. That gift being Jesus Christ. That faith being in the work of the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. But Lord, also help us to realize that our life lived on this earth should be from faith to faith. Faith starts our relationship, and then we live in this life through faith. And so, Lord, this next week, as, as, as trials come, as challenges come, may we not be tempted to rely on the world or, or be tempted to rely on ourselves, but may we, like a, a backic, reach out to you, talk to you, and trust you with the answers. Thank you, Lord, that you are a faithful and good God that we can put our trust in you. In Jesus' name.